Hey, this is Scott. Thanks for checking out the podcast of Grace Fellowship Church. Hope it's encouraging for you and helps you take your next steps in your faith journey. Enjoy. So when I was growing up, I have a sister that's four years older than me and a brother that's two years older than me. And when it was just the three of us, um, and parents, you, you get this, like th- those older two fought a lot. And so what would happen is we'd be on a, a car ride and um, they would be fighting and it would drive my mom crazy. The thing is, they loved me and it's understandable why. Uh, I was adorable and it's only gotten better with age. And so my mom was smart. She would put my car seat right in the middle of the two of them because at the very least they, right, and they couldn't smack each other at that point in time. Now at that moment, I may have been a peacekeeper But if you're a parent, you know this. There's a big difference between, like, making your kids stop fighting and, like, stopping the fight that's inside their heart. There's a big difference between being a peacemaker and a peacekeeper. You know, if you were to listen to any, um, like, pageant and they were to ask the question, what's something that the world needs right now? Everyone would answer, World peace, right? We're surrounded by, like, conflict everywhere we look, especially this week. It's just a part of life. Like, I turn on the TV at the beginning of the week, and honestly, it just put my heart in a kind of space this week where I'm watching what's happened in Afghanistan, and my heart is breaking for these people that are are caught in this situation, and the fact that they were caught in the first place, and it's complex, and it's hard to decode all of that kind of stuff. But honestly, even if it wasn't in Afghanistan, if it wasn't there, it would be some other country some other leader, some other place. In truth, it's not just the world stage where peace is out of lack. Like, we can look inside of our own country. We can look inside our own state. We can look inside our own community. My goodness, we can look inside of our own families right now, and it's not hard to see that conflict is something that we just have to deal with regularly. Think about it. The only time people are united together is when they're united against something else. So in fact, we've actually had a lot of unitedness in the last year because people would come together to say, we're against this other type of people group, whether it's a racial thing or an economic thing or this political thing. Like the only time people come together is when they're against something else. In fact, when is the only time we see all of humanity come together? when there are aliens, right? When there is an alien invasion and then everyone comes together, our forces combined, we will overcome the aliens. When it comes to, I'm not saying there really are aliens, I know that's not real, okay. When it comes to conflict in our lives, look, it's, it's it's gonna be a constant. And then the question is, how do we react to conflict? And I want to submit to you three different ways. There's probably more, but just let's we'll just talk about these three first. Three different ways that we can engage with conflict. And I just want you to listen to these and maybe think, where am I on this list? There's peace takers, there's peace fakers, and there's peacemakers. Peace takers. If you're a mom, you know what a peacetaker is because just when you've settled down for the evening, just when you finally made it to the restroom for the first time without an interruption, what do you hear? Mom, <laughs> Mom, where's my hairbrush? Mom, there are no clothes. 
honey, where's no more food in the, in the refrigerator? And even as I say this, it raises your blood pressure just a little bit, doesn't it? And it makes us simultaneously very glad that the kids are now back in school. Amen? Amen. A peacetaker, you know, but it's not just kids though, right? Because you, you guys live in the world. You know there's that person in your neighborhood that they keep doing this thing and it, like just when you've calmed down, they like, they like start their lawnmower, they start their chainsaw, or they start firing guns from across the valley or whatever it is, right? Just when you th- start thinking you've got peace at work, that person plays that kind of music, changes the temperature just where you had it set at the right place. Yeah, you know what I'm talking about, right? There are peace takers all around us. And chances are, if you're saying, oh, I don't really know any peacetakers, then maybe, just maybe, you're the peacetaker, and it's really good that you're here with us this weekend. And then there's also peace fakers. Peace fakers. I don't know if you have any of these in your life. These are people that hate conflict. They hate conflict. In fact, they'll do anything to avoid conflict. And don't get me wrong, I think a peace faker is much better than a peace taker. It's not always bad to avoid conflict, but it becomes a problem when people will do anything to avoid conflict and when there are genuine issues that need to be resolved, but they just gloss over them in an effort to keep the peace. And the result of that over the long haul is that there are legitimate issues that breed resentment and distrust. They breed bitterness So a peace faker is not always a good thing. But I think there's a better option that we started talking about. And this is someone that doesn't run from trouble. It doesn't cause trouble. It doesn't gloss over it. And it's someone that would walk into conflict in their life in an effort to bring understanding and resolution. And this is what Jesus called a peacemaker. A peacemaker. In this series, what we're doing is we're looking at these eight traits that Jesus sets up in Matthew chapter 5, the beginning of his ministry, the Sermon on the Mount, this, this segment called the Beatitudes. And he's saying this is what it means to be a Christian. This is what it means to be a citizen of the kingdom of God. And we would just ask this question of ourselves, is this a characteristic or is this a trait that is true of my life? And maybe you've known some people and you've said they've acted like a Christian, but when I look at the way that they act, they didn't line up with this and it really put me off to Christianity. It was something that I had to overcome. And so it's important for us that we would say we want to line our lives up with what Jesus says. This is what's true of people who are citizens of the kingdom of God. Now, as we look at these Beatitudes, theologians and people that are really smart have tried to put structure around this to say, how do we understand these? Was there like this logical flow to what Jesus was doing? And then maybe there's a bunch of ways to look at that, but I want to submit to you this weekend that there's this concentric circle, a way of looking at these beatitudes, that when Jesus, uh, when he starts out, he starts out saying, blessed are the poor in spirit, that when ultimately we start, we're looking at our relationship with God our relationship with God, that we're poor in spirit. We recognize that when we come before God, there's nothing in me that earns his favor. I am spiritually impoverished. I am spiritually needy before him. And the paradoxical truth of Jesus' kingdom is this, that he blesses those and he lets those who are poor in spirit inherit the kingdom of heaven. And then he says, if that's true, when we look at our own lives, and I see the fact that I keep running to these behaviors that hurt people that I love and hurt me and hurt, hurt God, and I care about that, and so I'm, 
I'm broken over that, and so I mourn. And actually, Sam, go ahead and leave that, leave that slide up as we talk through all of these here. Uh, I mourn over that. I mourn over that. And then he goes on to away from, from not just our relationship with God, that it's going to impact our relationship with ourselves. So blessed are the meek. This is a person who has a proper estimation of one's own value and worth in light of God's creation and his love. So I'm not going to think more highly of myself than I ought. I'm going to be meek. I'm going to be gentle. And then he presses on into our relationships with our community around us. So he would say this. He would say, blessed are the merciful. The relationship with God vertically always spills out to our relationship with people around us. It is never just, hey, it's just me and God. I don't need anyone else. Look, your faith might be personal, but it is never private, and our relationship with God should always spill out into our relationship with other people. He says, blessed are the merciful, those who see someone in their point of need and take action. Blessed are the merciful, how they relate, how they act with other people. And then he goes on to say, blessed are the pure in heart. When they get along with people, they are not duplicitous. They have pure motives. They're not saying one thing and really kind of feeling and doing another and then, and then Jesus says, okay, you've got your relationship with God, your relationship with yourself, your relationship kind of with your community, and then there's this, like, people maybe who are a little further away than that. And then Jesus says this, he says, blessed are the peacemakers, for they will be called children of God. The word peacemaker, this is what it means. We've already heard this word used. Patrick nailed it, right? He said, it's this thought of being actively working to reconcile peace people, actively working to reconcile people who have disagreements. Jesus says, blessed are those people who actively seek to find, when there are two people and they're out of alignment, I want to work to resolve that. Blessed are those people. I want to reconcile them. Think about what it means to reconcile your checkbook. You take two numbers. I, I don't, does anybody do that anymore? Is that like a thing? I've never done it, like, because I'm married to, like, in a bookkeeper account, and I count to four. I play guitar. I never do that. Like, uh, reconciling accounts, two numbers that don't line up. There's a discrepancy between them. Something has to be done to make them line up with one another. Take it out of the financial and bring it into the area of relationships. In the area of relationships, you have two people that are in disagreement, they're incompatible, there are irreconcilable differences, and it means this, it means that we're going to restore goodwill between them. So there's not bad blood there. And the thing is, that is not just keeping the peace. It's not just, it's not just making the fight stop. It's stopping the fight in the heart of the person because they've had a change of heart. They've been walked through to reconciliation and restoration. In fact, that word could actually be best translated the peace workers. Peace workers. Blessed are the peace workers, for they will be called the children of God. This idea of peace is a Hebrew word, shalom. You've probably heard it spoken before. Shalom. But shalom doesn't mean simply an, uh, an absence of conflict. It means a presence, a wholeness, a completeness, uh, a rightness, both internally inside of us and in our community. So God's peace, it's this 
rightness inside yourself and it's rightness with those around you. And Jesus would say it this, and maybe we could just best understand it this way. Happy are the reconcilers. Happy are the reconcilers. And this makes sense to us, right? Because have you ever seen a happy troublemaker? Have you ever seen a happy troublemaker? Of course not. This is a person who's always making trouble. They're always stirring up the office. They're those peacetakers. They're always stirring people up at school. They're picking a fight with every social media post they have. Do you consider those kinds of people happy? No, because they're miserable, and they want you to be miserable too. So they go everywhere just spreading misery. Isn't it true that happy people are reconcilers, and reconcilers are happy people? I want to submit to you and talk through maybe just three layers, three ways that we can step into being peacemakers with others. The first is this. The first is that peacemakers reconcile others to God. Peacemakers reconcile other people to God. That function of being a peacemaker is not simply a function that we carry, but it's an identity that we need to live in. It's a formula that works out. I used it a couple weeks ago. It's kind of cheesy, but consider it for just a moment. That reconciled people reconcile people. Because we've been reconciled with God, we then seek to reconcile God with other people. And there is no greater incompatibility, there's no greater debt, there's no greater division than this difference between God's great holiness and my broken humanity. And what the gospel teaches us is that God came into that space and said, I'm going to fill that gap and I'm going to make a way so that this person can be right with God. Paul says this, he says that while we were still enemies of God, not like not on speaking terms, but enemies of God, that he had every right to be opposed to us while we were enemies, we were reconciled to God through Jesus We were brought to peace. We were brought to that shalom with him, this completeness, this wholeness. And when we've experienced that, it changes then not just our function, but it changes our very identity. Turn in your Bible, if you have one, to 2 Corinthians chapter 5, verses 14 through 20. This is one of my favorite passages. I probably preach this passage more than just about anything else because it's so powerful. And here's what Paul goes on to tell us. Tell us. He says this. He says, for Christ's love compels us. That word compel, it means that it motivates us. It pushes us. It urges us. It prods us. It corrals us into a direction. Because we are convinced that one died for all, Jesus died for us, and therefore all died. We all died to our sin, Paul is saying. And he died for all that those who, should, who live should no longer live for themselves, but for him who died for them and was raised again. When we experience that, it changes us. Verse 16, so from now on, we regard no one from a worldly point of view. Though once we regarded Christ in that way, we do so now no longer. Look, when someone is disputatious, when someone is oppositional to someone else, when there is a peace provoker, when there is that peacetaker, when people are at, at odds, what we are doing is we are viewing that other person through a worldly set of lenses. A worldly set of lenses says, that person is the problem in my life, and there would just be peace if there would just not be that person. 
A worldly point of view does that, but when we experience Christ, we recognize that God didn't look at us that way, that he saw us through a spiritual worldview, and instead of seeing us as the obstacle to overcome, he saw us the object of his affection. And so instead of attacking us as people, he attacked the problem of sin in us. Aren't you glad that the resolution to the conflict between us and God was not his opposition to us, but was his great, great mercy? He could have. Look, look, for those of you who think, man, I can't believe I stepped foot into church. I should be struck down. Look, if he wanted to do that, he would have already done it by now. The scriptures tells us that God is rich in mercy. He doesn't want anyone to perish. He wants everyone to come to repentance and life in him. Aren't you so glad that God didn't just dismiss you and me? And that, and that Paul would say, hey, look, when we saw Christ first, we used to see this guy and thought he was just a guy, and then we saw what he did. He said that he would die and be resurrected three days later, and then once you know, he did it. So we used to look at him and think, well, he's just a dude. Now we don't think he's just a dude. We saw what he did. I, I saw the, hands in his, in his, the holes in his hands and his feet in his side. I'm convinced of this, Paul says. I don't think of him that way anymore. And so that changes us. That rearranges us. We don't see people in a worldly point of view anymore. We see them in a spiritual point of view. We recognize that our, our battle isn't against flesh and blood, but it's against what Satan is doing and the evil that's present in the world and the selfishness that's present in the world. We're not going to fight the people. We're going to fight the root of those things. Paul goes on and he says this, Therefore, if anyone is in Christ, the new creation has come. The old is gone. The new is here. All this is from God who, and say this word with me, reconciled us to himself through Christ. And then he gave us the ministry of reconciliation. He gave it to us. He goes on that God was reconciling the world to himself in Christ, not counting people's sins against them, and he committed to us this me message of reconciliation. You see it? The very act of God is something that we're called to pass on to others because reconciled people reconcile people. How does that happen. Paul continues, verse 20, we are therefore Christ's ambassadors. You know what an ambassador is? An ambassador is someone that represents a president or a king in a foreign land. And Paul would say, in your neighborhood, in your workplace, in your family, you're called to be the highest ranking representative of God to reconcile people in that space. It's not a plan B. You are what God has sent to be that reconciler. This is what he says. This is what our message is. Be reconciled to God as though God were making his appeal through us. We implore you on Christ's behalf, be reconciled to God. Let me ask you a question. Are you an ambassador like that? Do you know that you're an ambassador in the ninth grade? Do you know that you're an ambassador at work? Do you know that you're an ambassador in the garage? Do you know you're an ambassador at the barn? Do you know you're an ambassador on the bus? 
That's what God has called us to do. That's what peacemakers do. Number two, peacemakers reconcile themselves with others. They reconcile themselves with others. Some commentators um, would look at this passage, blessed are the peacemakers for they are children of God, and they will say, Our, this is all about just sharing Jesus with people. It's about evangelism. That's what this is for. We're going to be people that usher in that kind of peace. And when I look at this passage, however, I look at the context of what Jesus is saying and what he is doing, and he goes on to talk at length about not just our vertical relationship with God, but about how we get along with others. I don't think that we can divorce this relationship from us to the community around us and say, well, you know what, I'm just gonna, I'm just gonna pay attention to my relationship with God and I hope you accept Jesus and if you don't, then too bad, I'm just gonna sit over in my corner and I'm gonna do my thing. No, 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 no. Jesus goes on and he talks about that. He says, this is how you're to conduct yourselves when you're interacting with people around you. And I think the expectations upon a, a citizen of the kingdom of God is that they would be characterized as a person of peace. They're a person of peace everywhere they go. They're bringing peace about. They're resolving issues. In fact, I would say this. I don't think it's an overstatement to say that a disputatious, argumentative Christian should be an oxymoron. And yet, and yet, how is it that I know Christians, and you know Christians, and there are moments where we're not known to be people of peace, but we're known for the battles that we pick to fight and the things we stand against rather than the things we stand for. And the echo chamber of social media has many cases made that much worse. And I wonder if maybe, just maybe, what the world experiences when they look at people who call themselves Christians, and yet they are full of strife and they are peace takers, Say, that, that doesn't line up with what, what Jesus has to say. A Christian is someone who pursues reconciliation with others. And this isn't something that's passive. It's something that's active. We work towards it. We are peace workers. Uh, I have the privilege of being able to meet with a, a bunch of gentlemen on a Sunday morning, and we just open God's Word, and we talk about it together. And we've been working through these passages as well. And I thought one of the gentlemen, he, um, he wrote something that I thought was a great, something to chew on and just a summary of what this is talking about here. And I want you to consider, this is Doug Daly, by the way. He's not here, is he? So go downstairs and say, Doug, you are a very wise man, Doug. Okay, this is what he says. This is Doug Daly, all right? God's peace never evades issues. It knows nothing of peace at any price. It doesn't gloss over or hide. It doesn't rationalize or excuse. It confronts the problem. It seeks to solve them. And then after it, it builds a bridge between those that have been separated. It can bring pain and hardship because that is often the price of healing. Do you hear the activeness in that? It's not passive. It's not, oh, well, I wonder if it'll happen. It's not, okay, I'm just going to let them stay in their lane. It's there's a division between me and you, and I'm going to take the first step to resolve it. I'm going to take the first step to resolve it. In fact, this issue of unity between people from us to someone else is something that Jesus cared so much about. In fact, the only 
maybe I could argue this, I don't know, but one of the few policies, one of the few procedures that Jesus actually gives us is the issue of how to resolve an issue between you and someone else. In Matthew 18, Jesus would say this, hey, if someone sins against you, not if they looked at you sideways, not if they said they liked an ice cream that you don't like, not like, not like a preference issue, but if someone sins against you, he says there's a procedure for how to deal with that, and this is the operating principles for us here in this church, but I would also argue that it's a great principle. Even if you don't believe in Jesus, just follow after him. He's constantly inviting people to follow after him before they're even fully convinced that they know that he's the real thing, and, and I would encourage you just to try this out in your relationships and here's what he says he says if someone has done something wrong against you in a spirit of love you go to them and you say hey this is what happened this is how I experienced it I I there's this rift that's between you and I you go to the person one-on-one you don't email them and listen 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 everyone look at me all eyes are here you don't text them (laughs) do you know you you guys laugh you laugh, but I'm telling you what, I have been leading church enough, and I have told people, don't text confrontations. And then, hey, I don't know what happened. Look at this text feed. Look at how south this thing went. You want to know why? Because you know how much is lost in the translation to text. The moment you pick up any twinge of, there might be something sour here, put the phone down, put your computer down, don't be on Facebook, call them or show up at their door. Don't do it over text. Go to the person one-on-one, Jesus says, and you, and you confront them and you say, I love you and I don't want there to be an issue here. And then he says, if that person won't listen, then you take another person with you. And then you say, hey, this is really an issue. I really care. Can we resolve this? And if they still don't respond to that, that you're supposed to then take it to a larger group of people, in this case, the church would step in to help with that and say, this is not what it means to be a a Christ follower. We're gonna walk in repentance here. We're gonna own our odor. We're gonna reconcile with others. Why is it that the one group of people, the church, the people who should be known as peacemakers, sometimes are the worst at pursuing peace? And in my experience, I think it's because there are times when we, we, we encounter something, something, someone did something to us, and we think, you know, I shouldn't feel upset by that. And we spiritually bypass the real issues that exist there. We become a, a peace faker. And then after a while, it starts to breed distrust and that resentment and that bitterness. A citizen of God's kingdom pursues reconciliation between themselves and they have direct conversations with someone else. But here's another reality. Sometimes there are going to be those moments where you've gone out of the way, you've, you've pursued peace with that individual, and because of the consequences of their sin, because of circumstances, because maybe they're not alive anymore, you don't have the ability or the option to reconcile with them anymore. That happens. You've, you've had the conversation with them, you've pursued them, they've moved away, they've passed away, and you're sitting there and you're saying, God, I care about peace, but I have this feeling in my heart, what do I do with that? And this is why I think Paul's words in Romans 12 are so helpful. This is what he says. He says, if, if possible, if it is possible, as far as it depends on you, live at peace with everyone. Everyone read this out loud with me. Come on, here you go, with my voice. 
If it is possible, as far as it depends on you, live at peace with everyone. When your children are fighting and the other child won't respond, but one of them will, you say, if it is possible, as far as it depends on you, live at peace with your child, with your, with your sibling. When you're at war with someone and you've done everything you can do and, and, and when you, there's this conflict there and you said, man, I can feel the sourness in my own heart but I've gone after them and they have ghosted me. They will not respond. If it is possible, as far as it depends on you, live at peace with everyone. And I am so grateful that Paul gave us that if it is possible. Because if we've done everything that we can, and in love, we've said, I want to reconcile with them, and I'm not hanging on to bitterness, but there is no option. I think God looks at the heart and says, I care more that you're feeling love towards them that makes him smile. It's a heart issue. God is satisfied. Even if, peace is not, even if a peaceful conclusion is not brought to bear, I think God looks at that and is satisfied with how we're approaching that relationship. A citizen of the kingdom of God, a peacemaker, pursues right relationship, peace with other people. But I do want to give one disclaimer here. That there is a type of sin and hurt that steps out of the civil and enters into the legal and enters into serious abuse and assault. And I do not want to say that if someone has wronged you at that level, that you should go and face that abuser. The church gets that wrong sometimes. There are times and there are those situations and they are unfortunately not all that rare where you should not be in the place where you're going and you're being present with someone who has already proven themselves to not be trustworthy. And the idea of God's peace and shalom includes those legal consequences for actions. That's a part of how God established community and culture to deal with with those kinds of legal transgressions. Those are significant, and I don't want to treat those in a light or similar manner. Even when that happens, there is forgiveness in our heart, even when peace cannot be rationally accomplished. God gives us those kinds of mercy. So we, have, we, reconcile, uh, we reconcile people with God, we reconcile ourselves with others, and then lastly, peacemakers reconcile and mediate between other people. They mediate between other people that are at war. When you're at school and your best friends just can't get along, you're the peacemaker that steps in and says, how can we make this right? How can I help? On more than one occasion, I've, I've been that person who's been so upset by what someone else did, or I've been the offending party, and I can't see straight enough to navigate that situation, and I need help. I know that I'm not going to be able to engage with this person and not somehow bring more damage about. And so I've had to say to someone else that I trust that's mature and can help me navigate that, hey, would you come alongside us? Would you help create a safe space? Would you help the guns be put away off the table so that we can reconcile and pursue peace? As a matter of fact, I was thinking about that a whole lot as I've been preparing for that. And there were two gentlemen that, that served that kind of role in my life, and earlier today, I just text messaged them, and I said, hey, we're studying what it means to be a peacemaker. You went out of your way to serve in that kind of way. 
And I want to say that I think that makes God very, very happy. And I'm so grateful that you are a peacemaker in my life. Thank you. Thank you for doing that. It's a tremendous thing. That's what a citizen of God's kingdom does. They are agents of reconciliation. So let me just ask plainly, are you a peacemaker? Are you a peace... What's that? All three. All three. It's a mixed bag sometime, isn't it? Sure try, right? By God's grace. By God's grace. Blessed are the peacemakers, for they will be called the children of God. Initially, when I was studying this, I thought that that last phrase, they will be called the children of God, I thought that it was kind of a throwaway. Like he was just completing the couplets, you know, blessed are this because of this, blessed are this because of this, you know, blessed are these people, yeah, because they're good too, right? But the more I thought about it, the more I thought just how profound that statement is, that they would be called the children of God. Jesus is not just saying a peacemaker is blessed, but he's saying that God looks at those people who are peacemakers and he's identifying who they are with and that they are identifying that it's someone that God owns. In other words, if you're a Christian, you would be known as a peacemaker. It's a part of what it means to wear the jersey. It's the expectations for what it means to be a part of this group. Now, Before you think that's crazy, we have all sorts of expectations for groups that we're a part of, right? Like, if you went to a soccer game and saw an adult cussing out the kids on the other team, and then you found out that that was the coach, you would probably write an email to the league director, wouldn't you? Because that's not how a coach is supposed to act. And if you just found out what your kid's teacher was, and then on Friday night, you see that teacher passed out drunk on the sidewalk on a Friday night you'd probably say, hey, wait a minute. That's not how a teacher is supposed to. You'd probably be writing the principal at that point in time. We have expectations everywhere for those kinds of organizations. And a Christian, for you, what should be true about us is not that we go around and we stir up the pot everywhere we go or we say this inflammatory comment on Facebook all the time, but that we would be peacemakers where we go. A disputatious follower of Jesus is an oxymoron because that's not the identity of who a Christian is. So it's how we wear our jersey. And secondly, this, it's how God says, I own this one. I'm owning this. In fact, that word called, here's what that means. It means to identify with or to own something. Think about this. If your kid did something that you didn't like, you know, like like, I disown them. Like, they really did something? Like, I disown them. What are you saying? I'm distancing myself from them. That's not what I raised them to be. But when you own something, you're saying, yeah, that's mine. That's mine. I'm, I'm proud of that one. That's my kid. That's my kid. You see what he did? That's my kid. And I think when God looks at us, that's what he says. This week, I received a text message from a friend. This is what it said said, I just have to say what a gift it is to see your child at school yesterday. They were an encouragement, and I am praising God that our children are friends. Your child is a light in that school. Their confidence shines through, and it's a light that people, especially teachers, can't help but notice, and their classmates do too. Your child is kind, outgoing, and helpful. As much anxiety that could be had with my child going to school, I can see how God provides once again with solid friendships. Your child is an exemplary example of a servant of Christ. 
God is good all the time. And when you get messages like that as a parent, what does that do to your heart? Oh, God, you're good. That one. Mm, thank you, Lord. And it's not just because their behavior is good. It's because, yes, I have been trying. Like, that's my hope and my desire for my kids, that they would be selfless, that they would shine brightly. Every day I look at them and I say, you're going to school, shine brightly. Shine brightly. So when you hear about that, you say, I am so proud that that's my kid. And when God looks at you and you've taken the time to broker peace between two people who are at war, when you've taken the time to say, this is hard, but I'm going to take the first step to reconcile with someone that there's a division with, when you step out of the way to say, this person is far from God right now, but I want them to know that God has mercy and loves them intently, and I'm going to reconcile them, God would look at that and say, I'm owning that. That one's mine. That's my kid. And right now, someone's getting a, that's my kid downstairs, right? <laughs> we love your kids. Your kids are amazing. So let me ask a question. Let me ask a question. If God looked at you, how you interact in your spheres, would he be proud? Would he be proud? Maybe. Maybe. It's a mixed bag. Sometimes. Sometimes. Yeah. So let me ask this question then. What's that obvious relationship that when you take an honest assessment and you ask that question, if it is possible, as far as it depends on me, am I at peace with this person? Is there one of those that you need to take action on? Because this is what Jesus would say. He would say, if there's one of those, don't worship. Leave your, leave, your, leave your offering at the altar and make it right. Because God cares way more about a right heart. He says, I desire mercy and not sacrifice. I desire what's the heart before it ever comes out of your hands. Let's do this. I want to pray together, and I'm just going to ask a couple questions just like that, and we'll let God just rattle around inside our hearts right now. So close your eyes, and um, we'll just let the Spirit do some of this work here. So here are some questions as your eyes are closed, and Holy Spirit, we just invite you into this time. Grateful, Lord, for how your word rebukes us, uh, knowing that each and every one of us uh, hearing this have not figured this thing out, and that we need you. We want to make you proud. We want to make you proud. So before you, God, I just, I just ask this question of the people in this room. What's that relationship where someone needs to know that God wants to reconcile with them? Who is that person? And would you just stop and pray that name before God? Would you offer it up to him? Invite him into that. Pray for that person. Second question, what's that relationship, near or far? It might be someone who is in your house. It might be someone three states away. What's that relationship, near or far, where peace is strained? And what's that first step? What's that first step to reach out and pursue reconciliation? 
where you can honestly say, you know what, there are some things as far as it depends on me that maybe I haven't done and I want to make it, I want to be, I want to have a clean conscience before you, God. And then I want to ask one more question. This one goes a little deeper. What's that relationship near or far that you would do anything to have reconciliation with them? You would do anything. It's broken and you know it and you feel it and it burdens you and it's a hole in your heart. Maybe it's that person you just would hate to see in the mall. Maybe it's that family member that you cringe when you see their post. What's that relationship, that friend that is not there anymore and you would do anything to have that reconciled again? I believe God sees these things and he cares. And that he is the prince of peace. He brings it. So in this moment, would you maybe say that name before him? Ask him for help. God, we need you in this area. We want to make you proud. Help us, God, as we leave this place. And even as we sing this song, we're just going to create some space for it to rattle around a little bit. As we sing some praise to you. Help us to be people of peace, to not be peacetakers, to not be peacefakers, but to be peacemakers in Christ's name. Amen. Stand together, guys. Let's, uh, let's worship.